chapter 39 this morning, Genesis chapter 39. Um, I'll read through it, and then um, we're going to have uh, Roy teach this this morning. Uh, Pastor John Nicholas and I have really enjoyed uh, Roy's teaching in Sunday school and his progression in that regard, so we were excited to uh, ask him to take the 39th chapter of Genesis and, and bring that in a, in a message for us in the main sanctuary. So thank you, Roy, for being willing to do that. So I'll read Genesis chapter 39. It'll come up on the, the screens to my side. Uh, you can follow along as well. And uh, then we'll pray, and Roy will ask you to come up. Now Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And Yahweh was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, his master saw that Yahweh was with him and how Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended on him, and he appointed him overseer over his house and all that he owned he gave in his hand. Now it happened that from time to time, he appointed him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the blessing of Yahweh was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's hand and with him. There he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, Joseph was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. And it happened after these events that his master's wife set her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has given all that he owns into my hand. There is no one greater in his house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great an evil sin against God. So it happened that as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened that one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. Then she seized him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now it happened when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her household and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I screamed. Now it happened that when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And when she placed his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, saying, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to laugh at me. And as I raised my voice, I screamed, and he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now it happened that when his master heard the words of his wife, which, he spoke, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But Yahweh was with Joseph and extended loving kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So the chief jailer 
gave into the hand of Joseph all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's hand because Yahweh was with him. and Whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the blessings of the day. We thank you for life and breath, and we thank you for another opportunity to study from your word, God, to hear um, what you have for us, to hear the fruit of Roy's study, God. We ask that you would uh, bless our time together in worship. God, may it, may it be pleasing aroma to you as we gather together, focus solely and squarely on your word and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Pastor John for reading that. You know, last night, uh, me and my brothers got together, we went to dinner, and um, you know, I was telling them that I was going to be teaching today, and they were making some jokes about, uh, am I going to come out in flowing robes, is there going to be a whole choir, is there, what, what is this procession going to look like? And the, the funny part about that is, my brother and his wife are here today, and uh, they went to the church down the street. And they went to the Greek Orthodox Church, and there was some uh, something going on that caused them to turn around and run out. So uh, I just thought it was funny that that happened last night, and that today this happened. So, um, so as many as, as many of you are aware, I come from a large family. I have uh, four sisters and six brothers, and uh, like many brothers, we've had our share of sibling rival rivalries and uh, pranks and hijinks. Um, and I, I can relate to the story of Joseph and his brothers because. Uh, you know, with six brothers, someone is always wearing the bullseye t-shirt, right? And someone have a great idea and say, hey, let's call someone into the room and I'll shoot him with the BB gun. And invariably, there would always be a Reuben, right? Someone that had some kind of reason or sense to say, no, no, let's not do that. Let's just put a pillowcase over his head and beat him up. Um, so I, I think the biggest prank that we've played on, on our brothers was my younger brother, Barry, was getting married and a week before his wedding, uh, we decided to hide, to, to uh, kidnap him. And uh, I mean, there were some family members knew that we were taking him to dinner, but uh, we took him for a long weekend to North Carolina. No one knew where he was. Um, his fiance didn't know where he was. Um, the funny thing is, he had no toiletries. He had no change of clothes. He went down there with nothing. Um, and then the best part of all is Sunday we came home and Sunday morning, we had this great idea, like, let's dye his hair green. So we go to the drugstore, and the lady at the drugstore says, well, do you want to do it temporarily, or do you want to do it right? And we all looked at each other and said, let's do it right. So she's, you got to bleach it first and then put the green in. Well, lo and behold, we get home that evening, and my mom and dad are sitting at the kitchen table, and his fiance is sitting there, and she, one look at Barry, and started crying. <laughs> They did get married, thank God, and uh, they've been married for 20-some years, so it, it did work out. But, you know, reflecting on all of our experiences as brothers, I can confidently say that we've never come close to the level of, of turmoil that Joseph's brothers placed on him. Um, you know, today we rejoin this remarkable story of Joseph, 
Um, I'm sure many of you have heard this story of Joseph. It's been told many, many different ways. There are, there are children's books and songs written about it. Uh, in this chapter, we see Joseph's fall and rise through the sins of his brothers and Potiphar's wife. But through it all, as we've seen in our study of Genesis, we see the sovereignty of God working through those sins to show his glory. Hopefully through this narrative, we all can be encouraged that no matter what circumstances we go through in life, we are never alone. God is with us. So to refresh your memory, that, that, this great tension between Joseph and his brothers over a jacket, right? this, this multicolored robe that he had that they were jealous of, and then he was always telling dad on what they were doing or not doing. And then he had these dreams that he was prophesying. So his brothers did not like him at all. And what they do, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit with no water. And they were going to kill him. And then Reuben says, don't do that, don't do that. So they sold him into, into the, uh, to, to the Midianites. And the Midianite tra traders uh, subsequently took him to Egypt. Um, this marked the first time in Joseph's life where he found himself far from home. Separated from his father, the security of his family. In this unfamiliar land, with its foreign language and customs, Joseph was completely on his own. Regarding his family, his father believed him to be dead. That's the story that his brother sold to his father. Uh, his brothers wished he was dead. Joseph was truly all alone. Many of us can relate uh, or empathize with the profound sense of isolation that Joseph must have felt. And I'm not talking about when your parents dropped you off at summer camp for a week or when they drove you to the end of the universe to drop you off at Shippensburg for your first year of college. No, I'm not talking about that kind of alone. Joseph was truly all alone. No support, no communication, no texting, no social media. No one was on his side. From human eyes, he was utterly and completely alone. This narrative has been taught in, in many, many different ways. Uh, I've heard it taught about resistant se sexual temptation, and it is, it is about that. I've heard it, heard it taught, taught about Potiphar, that was pretty thin and not much of it really applied. I've heard it taught about Potiphar's wife, which was really interesting to me because the Holy Spirit didn't even uh, give her a name. There's not much really significance there. At first glance, our immediate impression is this chapter is all about Joseph. Uh, and in many ways it is. But I want you to notice that in reality, it's not a chapter about Joseph, first and foremost. It's a chapter about the Lord who was with Joseph uh, and his sovereignty that's on display here. Time and time again, we, we, we've seen in this study of Genesis God's sovereignty through all types of circumstances. And when we went through these, uh, you know, how people in their deception and their sins didn't thwart the sovereignty of God or his plan. And I'll remind you, we've, we've we used this verse countless times, but Romans 8, 28 applies here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, Greek word pos, every type, everything, good and bad, all work together for his purpose. 
It's easy to see God's goodness in the good times and to know that he is with you through those good things and good times. But what about when the trials and temptations come? Sufferings come at us. When we get the bad diagnosis, when you didn't get the raise or the job that you wanted, we are accused falsely. We have that same sense that God is with us in those times. We see in this chapter through John Weathersby's reading that the, the theme is that God is with Joseph. Four times in this chapter, we, read, we saw the phrase, Yahweh was with Joseph. We saw it in verse 2, we saw it in verse 3, we see it again at the end in verse 21 and verse 23. This entire chapter is bracketed by those four statements, two at the beginning of the chapter and two at the end. And they stand like bookends around this whole narrative and what is applied, implied in every episode and every event in between. That the Lord was with Joseph every step of the way. Whether he's being promoted, whether he's being seduced, or thrown in jail, the Lord was with Joseph. And all success that Joseph had, whether to be raised to a position of prominence, whether to be preserved in purity, whether to be given authority in prison, was only and always because the Lord was with Joseph. The accent does not fall on Joseph. It falls upon Joseph's Lord, who was everything that Joseph, to, to Joseph that Joseph needed in order to succeed. The whole chapter crescendos at the mountain peak. At the end of the last verse, in verse 23, it says, Yahweh was with him, and whatever he did, Yahweh made to succeed. The real hero of this chapter is God, not Joseph. Joseph is just like you and me, a man with feet of clay. A fallen man who has been saved by God's grace. But even in Joseph's daily walk through life, he was able to live a godly life only because the Lord was with him. What do you, what do you think the, the children of Israel heard when they heard or read this narrative? Remember, this was written after their exodus from Egypt. While they were wandering for 40 years on the longest camping trip ever recorded. They had just been released from 400 years of bondage. This was told to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 13, when God said they were going to be strangers in a foreign land, that they would be subjected to all kinds of things for 400 years. Do you think they realized that the Lord was with them? They had just suffered some serious hardship for those 400 years. They just witnessed thousands and thousands of their family members and friends that have died, some under the, the cruelty of the whip of their masters. Did they realize that the Lord was with them through those difficult times? It was the same Lord that delivered them out of Egypt and the same Lord that went before them, a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night fed them, gave them water while they were wandering for 40 years. It's so easy to criticize the children of Israel when they lose sight of God, isn't it? 
And how easy do we lose sight of God when something minor happens in our life? It's the same for you and I. Don't miss that. Do we realize that the Lord is with us and goes before us in our lives? In the good times and the bad, do we have that profound sense that the Lord is with us? Well, I want to remind you that if you are a believer, he is. We are never alone. He is always with us. So now, in our text, starting in verse 1, now Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And Yahweh was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that Yahweh was with him, and how Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended on him, and he appointed him overseer of his house, and all that he owned he gave in his hand. Now it happened that from the time he appointed him overseer in his house and all that he owned, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house on, on account of Joseph. Thus the blessing of Yahweh was upon all that he owned in the house and the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's hand, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. We'll pause there. Here we see this, this text picking up seamless, almost seamlessly from Genesis 37, verse 36. Last week we saw uh, chapter 38 was kind of a parenthesis, it's there for a reason, but we stopped the story of Joseph and at the end of 37, pick it up here in 39. Joseph has been sold into slavery. The, 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 the Bible doesn't tell us what happened on that journey to, to Egypt. It doesn't say how, how it was working as a slave for Potiphar. No, it, what it does say twice that God was with him. We also see that God caused his master to see that as well. You know, I, th I, th I think to myself as I was studying this, what was it like for Joseph? The text says that everything he did, God made to succeed. It was Potiphar giving him instructions of things to do, and Joseph was just doing it, and Potiphar's looking at it and saying, man, it's just perfect. How is it that this guy is so much better than the rest of the slaves? He's noticing something different about Joseph. And he notices so much that the three times in this, in this text that I just read, we see that Potiphar just slid everything over into Joseph's hand, made it, appointed him overseer, in full control over his, all, all that he owned. How was Potiphar able to see that? He's a pagan. He's an unbeliever. Joseph has been given the entirety of Potiphar's house. His servants, his slaves, his finances, they're all in Joseph's hand. And it's only because the Lord is with him. My, my father gave me advice years ago, and I passed it on to anyone who was looking to get ahead in their professional life. I thought my dad was super smart for, for telling me this, not at the time, because back then I was young and I, I foolish, and I thought everything my dad said was stupid. Um, but then I watched a, a YouTube video of the Masters, a graduating class from the Masters Seminary, and John MacArthur echoed the words of my father. 
And he said, I'm going to give you two words of advice. If you want to succeed in this world, you show up early and do what you're told to do. And you will shine like a star on a dark night. You just show up early and do what you're told to do. And I'll, I'll add to this, have a great attitude while you do it. Something that's lost. You may work for an unbelieving boss. You may, eh, knowing that this person is unbeliever, sometimes it's hard to give 100% to that person. Joseph is in the house of Potiphar, who's a pagan, who's an unbeliever. And he's given him the service that God would want him to give. Colossians 3.23 tells us that whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Even if it is to an unbeliever. As Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, he's not doing what I would be doing, complaining, wearing it right here on my face, dragging my feet, upset that my brother sold me into slavery, and now I'm working for this Egyptian far away from home. No. Joseph is pouring himself into the immediacy of the moment. And as he finds himself in Potiphar's house, he will give Potiphar the service that the Lord would have him give to Potiphar. So whether you have a good job that you like, whether you have a crummy job that you don't like, whether you've got a great boss who takes care of you, whether you've got the worst boss in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter who you work for, where you work, you do the best job you possibly can, and it brings honor and glory to God. Ephesians 6, chapter 5 says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the integrity of your heart as to Christ. You don't just serve your boss who's over you in the organizational chart. No, you serve the sovereign master of the universe in that job. So you don't do your work as unto the, the boss, but as unto the Lord. And on the last day, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, this will be part of our audit and our review. Did you serve me in that job? Now, I just love the fact, and I have to point this out, that in the text here, it says with Joseph there that Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. We see in verse 1 that Potiphar is a, a powerful, influential man. He's captain of the bodyguard. He's right next to Pharaoh. He has a lot of control, a lot of influence. He's doing a lot of things. The last thing he needs to worry about is his, his, his estate. All he had to care about was what he was shoveling in his face. Good problem to have when you have a man like Joseph working for you. Now this next section, section takes quite a turn. And it goes from the Lord being with Joseph while he was serving Potiphar, to the Lord being with Joseph while being seduced by Potiphar's wife, and God giving him the fortitude to resist that temptation. At this point, Joseph has been elevated to the head of everything uh, that Potiphar owns. 
he reports to Potiphar, and Potiphar reports to Pharaoh. Joseph mentions that in, in verse 9 here. He isn't bragging, he's just stating a fact. We pick up in the second half of, of verse 6. Now Joseph was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. God, God has just unusually blessed him. And it happened after these events that his master's wife set her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has given all that he owns into my hands. Here is verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife, and then how could I do this great evil and sin against God? So it happened that as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Verse 11, now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the household were there. Then she seized him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Joseph did not resist this temptation in his flesh. If you notice in the text, the first time she says, lie with me, it's, it, it's almost like it's very seductive. It's, you know, suggestive. The second time she says, there's an exclamation after it. She's demanding him, lie with me. Joseph says, how can I do this great evil? It's not just evil, it's great evil. And sin against Potiphar? No, it says sin against God. Remember, also, the Ten Commandments have not been written yet. In his flesh, Joseph would have wanted to cave in and submit to this seduction. Joseph was able to resist because the Lord was with him, and the Lord was enabling him to say no. God was giving him the fortitude to overcome this, this, this temptation, this lure, this seduction. It's the same for you and me. The Lord must give us strength to say no to every temptation that is set before us, whatever the realm. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is, as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to, to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. There's always an escape. There's always an exit path from temptation if you're living by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee immorality. Don't stay and fight it. Flee it. Now, even though the Lord was with Joseph and gave him the strength to resist that temptation, does not mean that Joseph was not going to suffer. Potiphar's wife is going to concoct a lie to protect herself and implicate Joseph as the one who's trying to seduce her. 
She's the woman that, that, that King Solomon spoke of in Proverbs uh, chapter 5, verse 3 through 8. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Verse 5, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. Verse 6, lest she watch the path of life, her tracks are unstable, she does not know it. Verse 8, keep your way far from her, and do not go near her, the door of her house. It doesn't say do not enter, it says stay far away from the door. Back to our text in in verse 13. Now it happened when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and, and I screamed. The theatrics are great here. Verse 15, now it happened that when he heard that I'd raised my voice and screamed, he left, his, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And she placed his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to laugh at me. And I raised my voice and screamed, and he left his garment beside me and fled outside. In verse 14, she, she's throwing Potiphar under the bus to the rest of the slaves. See, he has brought in this slave. And then in verse um, 17, she says again, the Hebrew slave whom you brought. It's like the drunk getting, getting pulled over for DUI and he blames the bartender. It's not the bartender's fault, it's your fault. So even though the Lord was with Joseph, it did not prevent him from this unjust suffering. And Joseph was about to suffer. Though the Lord was with him, Joseph did not receive special treatment in the providence of God. He is suffering while living in a fallen world, just like you and I suffer at times as we live in this fallen world. Just because the Lord is with him, or the Lord is with us, will not prevent us from undergoing difficult times. The fact that the Lord is with us often puts us into the very eye of the storm. Just like it did Job, just like it did the prophets, John the Baptist, the apostles. There is a suffering that often comes for living a life that honors God. Do not think that it's an easy path to follow Christ. If you're looking for an easy path, do not follow Christ. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 37. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I recount Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, as well as David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered, conquered kingdoms, performed righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong from weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now it turns. 
and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and floggings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, mistreated. No, to live a righteous life in an unrighteous world will come at a high price. And many times we suffer unjustly. But we must continue to put our trust in God. And because over all of this, God has a higher purpose for good. I remind you of Romans 8:28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Back to our text in verse 19. Now it happened that when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. And Potiphar heard what his wife had to say, his anger burned. That's the Hebrew word, uh, hot nostrils meaning flaring of the nostrils. Potiphar becomes judge and executioner in a moment. Throws Joseph in jail. Verse 21. But Yahweh was with Joseph and extended loving kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So the chief jailer gave into the hand of Joseph all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's hand because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made to succeed. The first word in verse 21, but. And I love the buts in the Bible. I love the therefores in the Bible because it always underscores something. But, though everyone has forsaken him, Though Potiphar has forsaken him, though though Potiphar's wife has forsaken him, though his own brothers have forsaken him, though the Midianite traders have forsaken him, though the whole world seemingly has forsaken Joseph, but Yahweh was with Joseph. Yahweh was with Joseph in the prison to support him, to strengthen him, to satisfy him and extend loving kindness to him. That word extended there is the Hebrew word for extending the hand. It's almost as if God has a handful of loving kindness that he's just given to Joseph there as he's in prison. The goodness of God to Joseph in the midst of that difficult situation. Do we see God's loving kindness in the midst of our troubles? Do we see how God preserves us and strengthens us in the midst of those troubles? Remember, it's easy to see God in the good times, isn't it? I'm going to say to you, it is, it's, has all come from, uh, it, I'm sorry, uh, whatever success you have in this life, no matter what it is, has all come from God. None of it is from you. Whatever, whatever favor, whatever wealth, you enjoy in this world 
remember that it all comes from God. And as you examine your life and whatever it is God has placed upon you, if it is the will of God, the Lord is with you to provide everything that you need, that no task would ever be too great and no responsibility too demanding if Christ is with you. He will enable you to fulfill it. Obviously, in and of ourselves, we are all inadequate. In uh, John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Paul talks about how inadequate we are. But Christ is hyper-adequate, more than adequate, to fulfill everything in us that needs to be fulfilled. As, as I bring this to a conclusion, let me ask you this question. Is the Lord with you? Do you know the Lord? Have you made him Lord of your life? If so, he is with you. And he will be with you in every situation of life. But if the Lord is not with you, you are in a very dangerous situation. You're on your own, and in this fallen world, you do not want to be on your own. You need the Lord far more than you realize. And the Lord is being offered to you today, at this very moment, in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. His name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus has come that God might be with us, because we cannot pull ourselves up to God by our own efforts. God must come down. He has come down in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. John, 14, or John 1 verse 14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come to clothe you in his righteousness. You would be adopted into God's family. You would become a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom. May those words sink deeply in your heart. You need the Lord to be with you. He's not with you. He's against you, and there is no middle ground. Charles Spurgeon said, trials teach such hard lessons but I have learned to kiss the wave that has thrown me against the rock of ages. Have you learned to kiss those waves that have thrown you against the rocks? In whatever situation you find yourself, whether you're, you're thrown into prison, whether you're thrown into a bedroom with difficult temptations, whether you've received a terrible diagnosis, whether the marriage is bad, whether life just isn't going the way you like it to go, have you learned to kiss those waves in your life? Please know that if you are one of his, 
The Lord is with you to help you overcome. And we are never alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that that you're with your people. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot make it on our own willpower, on our own effort. Our effort is nothing unless you are with us. So, Lord, we call upon you today, through every situation of life, to be with us. And however it works out, Lord, we're going with you, and you're with us. In the name of Christ's holy and mighty name.